Thanks for that dope. They're the Joes, right? I did that too. <laughs> the Joes are our missionaries to, to working with the Iranians. Um, thanks for praying for them. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to read a actually a remarkable passage today. And we're in a series where we're refreshing what our church is about. So if you're new to our church and you kind of, what is New Hope Church and especially this English ministry, what are they trying to accomplish and what is their vision about what it means to be the church? You are in a good, at a good, uh, you're joining us at a good time where I'm preaching about why, what we're trying to do here, what we believe the Lord's calling is to be the kind of church that he wants us to be. And today I have a message that I'm calling God's Home for the Communally Homeless. So I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, and then I'm going to jump ahead through verse 13 through 16. This is the Word of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The next verse is talking about Sarah. I'm going to skip over that. Let's go to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Tremendous words, and let me pray for this message, and hopefully I can preach this with faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, help me to talk about a very large and difficult thing. What it means that we are immigrants and children of immigrants, and how hard that is and that there is a deep brokenness inside of us, a deep brokenness which your scriptures, which the gospel offers us great resources to answer. And so we pray, Lord, that we would seek the home that you give us, Jesus, that you have paid for, and you would give us rest for our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to start this message by asking you a question. Um, why do you think first-generation immigrants come to church and the men wear suits? Hmm? Why do you think they wear dress up when they come to church? Kind of, you know, the, when you come to a church like this, and you know it's a church that's arising out of immigrants. I mean, this congregation speaks English, and it's primarily for those who are more American. And, but if you just go just down the hallway, you notice they're dressed differently than we are. And there's a lot of differences between the way first generation immigrants do church versus the way, you know, the next generation does church. But, you know, this being a Korean American church, let's just, why is it that the Korean American church, why do they wear suits? 
There's a lot of differences, but let's just talk about that one. Why do you think that there were suits? Now, if you ask them, why do you dress up? Why do you dress nicely, mom? Or, you know, elder so-and-so, why are you wearing a nice suit and coat and tie when you come to church? The answer that they'll give you is that the spiritual reason that they do this is when you come before God, you should bring your best, right? If you were going to go meet the President of the United States, would you dress the way you dress every day? Wouldn't you dress a little nicer? Would, wouldn't you come before God? Shouldn't, shouldn't you not dress like a slob? That would be the spiritual reason that they would give. And, you know, a, a number of them, that, that is exactly what they have in mind when they come to church. There was a, 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 a first-generation pastor. He even spoke of a woman who, when she gave her offering, and this, this I thought was wild. I mean, this was really out there to me. But she would even iron her money. <laughs> she would literally iron so that she wouldn't give the crinkly, ugly dollar bills to the Lord. She wanted to give her best bills to the Lord. So she would literally iron her money before she would give that to the Lord. She goes, so this is what I want to give to God. So, you know, and then that is an extension of the way we dress, or at least the way at least they dress. So that's, that's the spiritual reason why they do it. And it's a good one. It's a good reason, isn't it? Right? But then let me ask you this question. <laughs> so many second-generation people, um, they hate that. All right? They hate that, the re- that, the pe- that you have to dress nicely when they come to church because when you see people dress, because all of a sudden the way you dress, and you notice the way you dress is not simply the way you dress. Just because the way you dress, if you dress differently, you know you behave differently. You know, you go, I'm, I'm the same no matter what. No, you're not. If you, if you change your clothes, you will act differently. Just try wearing your pajamas all day in your own house. I bet you you're going to behave differently than you would if you put on your normal day clothes. And that's with only your own family seeing you. Imagine if you go out and you dress differently and the whole world is looking at you. You're, you're dressed differently because you're going to behave differently. Right? So I'm just talking about the way they dress but it also makes them behave differently. And that is the part, I think, that so many second-generation people, when they look at their forebears in the church, they, they're dressed nicely. And they, they, what they feel about that is this way that you act when you put on these clothes and you come into this building, it's fake. That's the part that we don't like. That you act the special way. But Monday through Saturday, I know you're not like that. But on Sunday, you got to dress up like this, and it's supposed to be for God, and that seems really fake to me. And it's really hard for us to see that heart of people, the heart of the person who says, I want to give my best to the Lord. And you know, like all people, we're supposed to give our best to the Lord, but oftentimes that's not what we do, right? We give really our, well, our half best or our quarter best or basically almost nothing to the Lord, but we're trying to give our best to the Lord. And when we see that they're, they're trying to give their best to the Lord, what we often don't see is we don't see the best. What we see is well, what we think is the worst, right? And so that's part of it. And we have a totally different view. When we come to church, 
We want to be able to say the real me comes to meet the real God, and the real me doesn't dress up. The real me is this, this slob. <laughs> this is the way I dress. Well, maybe some of you don't dress like slobs. I kind of do, but on Sunday, I, I try to dress a little nicer for you, because if I dress the way I normally dress, you won't take me seriously, okay? So um, I dress a little bit better than I normally would dress to, to be a servant to you, okay? Um, but this is just an, an intro to the way, um, the reason I'm talking about this is I'm talking about something that's broken in immigrants. Now, let me ask you, that's what they say is why they dress this way. But let me give you an answer that I heard from a different first-generation person in a conversation. And I've heard this from other first-generation people. And if you ask your typical first-generation immigrant why they dress up when they come to a place like church they might not ever be able to even articulate this reason, and they might not even quite acknowledge this reason. But deep down, people have deep feelings and deep hurts and and longings inside of them make them do what they do when they don't even quite realize that's why. So with their mind, with their conscious cognitive mind, they think they're doing it for this reason, but actually there's some other deeper reason that's impelling them that's compelling them to behave the way they do. I mean, people are weird that way, right? But um, I, so even if you were to actually say this to a first-generation person, they might not quite accept it, or they may even deny it. But I heard this from another first-generation Korean-American about why so many of them dress up when they come to church. And when I heard this, I said, oh, that's true. I think that's right. And here's the reason. When so many immigrants came to this country... They came to a place that made them feel like they were nothing. When they were in in the old country, they know how to speak the language. They know when they walk into a setting how to behave and how to talk. They know how this is the way I can be accepted and how I can receive respect and honor and be somebody in this place. But when they come into this country... Everything is alien. They don't speak English very well. They don't know the right particular customs. I mean, in Korean culture, you're supposed to bow to somebody. And if somebody is a superior, you're supposed to not quite look them in the eye. You're supposed to look a little bit and you're supposed to bow, with it, have a certain sense of deference. But the American way is you're supposed to look them straight in the eye and talk man to man. I mean, it's a, it's a diff- even that is alien to them. But when they come into the church... So they at in in the old country maybe they were quite accomplished. They may have been quite educated and even successful in the old country. And they had a certain position of respect, but when they come here, they lost all of that. And one of the reasons when they come they they come into church is because normally they go to work and they may go to a job that they don't even feel proud of. They may work on an assembly line or they may have a manual labor job, and it's, they wear clothes that they were not used to wearing and they don't even like wearing. But when they come into the church, they can put on a suit. And they can come in and receive respect. That's another reason, by the way, why they care very much about the titles. Because they're looking to be respected, and they want to feel whole again as people. And they come into the church, and that's... That's why, right? Now, I'm, talk, I'm starting off this way because this message today is about immigrants. 
and about their hearts. And why a church like this is speaking the gospel and why we do it this way in this church. And, you know, in this message, I would like to talk first about what I'm going to call communal homelessness because that's the deeper problem. It's not just that they speak Korean or they speak English or want to wear a suit. That's just the outer outward manifestation of a deeper problem, right? The problem of communal homelessness. Two, I would like to talk about the way church does culture. The way church does culture. Is there only two ways that the church can build community and do culture? And three, I'd like to talk about the home that Jesus offers us, okay? So let me talk about this problem. The first generation immigrant. You know what their deeper problem is? Why, they, why it's so important. You think, it's just a seed. Why do we have to do this? And why do you have to make me do it? And we have these conflicts from second generation, first generation, when there's certain customs, and I'm just picking that one. There's, you, know, you can multiply it by many other little customs and expectations and longings that the first generation had that the second generation dislikes. And then there's all these fights. But... On this issue of clothes, the clothes is just one expression of the fact that when they come to this place, into this land, everything in this land makes them feel like they are an outsider, that they are a stranger, that they are an alien, and that they are not at home here. And homelessness, this is a place that that just makes them feel displaced. And in that way, everywhere that they go, they feel uncomfortable. You know, um, most of you in this room are probably, you're immigrants, but you're second generation immigrants. Maybe some of you are even born in this country, right? And you've imbibed much more of the American culture and you know how to kind of try to make yourself at home in this place. You're not uncomfortable. But it's it's, it's almost impossible for us to really understand and relate to a people to come into a setting and you and feel utterly weird and not at ease all the time. I mean, have you ever gone to another country? And for a time, it's just a strange thing. And for a short period of time, it may be actually even exciting to experience all the strangeness and the alienness and the weirdness of another culture. But the fact is most Tourists, that's not even what they do. When they go to another culture, they go to exactly all the familiar places. They like going to McDonald's in another country. All right? They like finding all that. Because why? Because everything else is just too weird. But imagine, and it's, it's hard to imagine. It's almost impossible to imagine. But I'm just trying to offer you just a little taste of this by talking about this question of clothing in church that our forebears came to this country or your parents or maybe your grandparents And they mostly, almost everywhere they go, they feel weird. They feel strange. They feel like an outsider. Now, let me take a quick look at this text. This passage, it says something really extraordinary in this passage. That Abraham, he went to to go to a land of promise, it says in verse 9. And it says something interesting, as in a foreign land. That's what it says. He went to go live as in a foreign land. And Abraham is the one from whom that all people who believe and know the true and living God, we're all spiritual children of Abraham. And the first forefather of all of the children of God, you realize he was an immigrant? (laughs) 
He was a first-generation immigrant, and he got to he he had to travel a thousand miles. And back then, to be an immigrant was far more dangerous than it is now. He had to pack up on his camels and go a thousand miles. And anywhere along that journey, if he met the wrong kind of people, he could have been killed. But he gets to this strange place. And he did this because God called him. And God promised him something. But he felt this displacement, this alienness all the time. And there's even indications. If you go and read these early chapters in Genesis that tell you the story of Abraham, there are these weird chapters where he does these crazy and even offensive things. And, and the reason he does them, I'm just to give you an example, there's, there's, there are incidents that the Bible records where Abraham, his wife Sarah, is apparently very good looking. <laughs> and because the men of that area, they tend to like to collect women, a very power, he would encounter a very powerful man of the area, and instead of saying, hey, yeah, that woman, yeah, that really hot woman, <laughs> that's, that's my wife, by the way, no, he would actually deny that that's his wife. And then guess what? She would end up in another man's harem. And why did he do that? I mean, it's a rather cowardly and terrible thing that he did. But you know what he's doing? It's because he's afraid. It's because he is a stranger in a strange land. And his life is literally in danger. And that is the struggle of him trying to be an immigrant in an alien land. That's part of what's going on. And when you read that, those strange stories, that's part of the drama of him trying to adjust himself to this crazy place. But we live in a country, so it's a little, it's a lot more safe. I mean, we live in the country, you know, you, you show up at the airport and they check these papers and they're polite to you. Well, at least they're supposed to be polite to you. Okay? And, um, but this is a country that is, that is probably the most welcoming country to strangers, to people who don't belong here or people that are new here. It is probably perhaps the most welcoming land to strangers that has ever been on this planet. Right? It's truly a, a, a country welcoming to immigrants, and yet it's still that hard. Because the problem is not just that their language is different than you or their customs are different from you, but inside of your soul, you feel homeless. Because home, home is not just a house. Home is not just a building. It's not architecture. You know what home is? Home is an idea. It's an incredibly powerful idea. Home is actually a need. It's a longing. And home is a place where people know you. And people embrace you where you can come and have rest. That's home. Right? That's what home really is. And, you know, if your house isn't like that, that's a, that's a terrible thing. Right? But people need a community. And they need a culture that shapes that community. And when they come into it, they find that this, this is where I belong. This is my home. And first-generation immigrants, you know what they are? They are communally, they are culturally homeless. And so what they do is, because of this deep, powerful hole and restlessness and even pain in their heart, what they do is they work so very hard and they look for other people and then they start Korean restaurants (laughs) and start little communities and they shape places to try to make this place not so alien and because they long for something that makes where they can have something of home. And you know what? Church 
It's very important that when you go before God that you feel at home. Right? And so church, it's very... Church is going to be a place where our culture powerfully flashes and clashes. Last week I talked about you know, the tragedy of the American church and how those who are white and those who are black don't often like to worship together. And it's partly of exactly this reason. Because if they were to go and worship with those of the other race, that they would often feel that they are not at home. But church, when they come before God, they want to be, this is a place I can rest. That's a big problem. Now let me say one more thing before I go to the second point. This isn't just a problem for first-generation immigrants. Many second-generation immigrants, you too know what it's like to feel culturally homeless. Now, you may go into, you know, you, so, you know, this applies to Chinese immigrants or Mexican immigrants or Vietnamese immigrants. You know, those are some of the common immigrants that we have in our city. But let me just talk about Koreans, since that's the, that's the one that I know, all right? I mean, literally in this building, some of you are uncomfortable to go to certain parts of this building. Because when you go into that place, you don't know how you're supposed to behave, and you're going to hear a different language. You may even hear different, feel, smell different smells of food, and then the foreignness of that hits you, and then as you feel not at ease there, you know what you're doing? You're tasting in a small way, in a lesser way, communal homelessness. That's what you're tasting. And what the first-generation immigrant drinks like a really thick, full-on, powerful, undiluted drink, which is a a very unpleasant drink, the second-generation immigrant drinks in a much more diluted fashion, but we drink it too. We too imbibe and know the taste of communal homelessness. And it's not easy, is it? But for us, it's a little bit, it's different. The first-generation person isn't going to go to church and think, you know that church down the street that's mostly white? That, that's, that could be a church for me. That's not, that's not even an option for them. The second generation immigrant can go, hey, there's the American church, but you know, it's, I know I can speak English and I know everything that they're saying there, but something about that I don't entirely feel at home. And you live here in this country, in America, but there's a whole spectrum of second generation immigrants a lot of them don't feel like this is entirely their country. Some second generation, there's a spectrum. Some love the country, and even deeply, but, and some don't even feel like this is their country. They feel, well, this is where I live, but I don't know, I would call this my land in my home. So America, you have this kind of ambivalent sense of this, and so even a lot of second generation immigrants, you are much more comfortable in this land, yet... You're not entirely sure you would call it your home yet. Now, that, there's that spectrum. I'm not sure where you are on that spectrum. I mean, just to let you know, I'm, of, I'm pre-American. And I love this country, and I'm definitely on this end of the spectrum. But I also know what it feels like to be strange on this part of the spectrum. You know, you go around to different parts of the country. I've been in towns where literally everybody is white, <laughs> And I've walked into restaurants and can feel eyes (laughs) on me. And as much as I deeply, profoundly love this country, that I was like, wow, I'm I'm, I'm a bit of a stranger here. And people notice that. But that's just the American side. And then whatever ethnic subculture your, your 
your, your roots come out of, your cultural roots come out of, you go into that, and you know what? That doesn't really feel quite at home for you either, does it? So you're the second generation immigrant. You have a foot in this world, and you have a foot in this world, and yet, and then even stranger, you come back to your kind of your own, your own kind of your own blood culture, and then they do things, and especially as they do things, the more Chinese they do it, or the more Korean they do it, that in some of it you're like, uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of past this, or this is too weird, or, and that's communal homelessness, right? And it's a big problem. And in the church, the church needs to wrestle with this issue because the gospel has all resources to meet us in the depths of our humanity. And home is not just an idea, it's a need. It is a deep and profound soul need. So that's the first point I want to make. Second, second thing I'd like to talk about is this question of church. The church, the church and how it does culture and community. The question I'd like to raise to you is, are there only two ways of doing it? Most people, as they grow up in this country, they see, you know, they know there's different types of churches. You know, you have the different denominations. You have Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches or Catholic churches, etc. right? But, you know, as you already kind of know which kind of theological route you're going to take, maybe, or maybe you don't know, but at least you know they, they believe in Jesus here, okay? It sounds like when they talk about the Bible, it's stuff that makes sense to me. Um, or when they talk about God, it's something that seems relevant to me. But is, it, is there only just two buckets about this? There's the American way of doing it, and then there is kind of the ethno-specific, the ethnic-centric way of doing this. Is this, the, is this the only two ways of doing this? And especially for so many people who are, we're just to talk about, since this is a room mostly full of second-generation immigrants or maybe third-generation, of people who have that, you're feeling that brokenness at that different level. You know, you look at the, at the in, we look into our society and we think there's really only kind of two options for us, this way or that way. But you know what? That's not true. Maybe those are the only two ways that have been presented, but culture, let me present to you, culture is the way human beings make culture. It's passing, and it's temporary, and it can be changed. So let's look at this passage. It says in verse 9, it says something that I want to share with you. It says that Abraham lived in the land of promise. He lived in a tent with his son Isaac and his, later his grandson, Jacob, heirs with him of the promise. And I want to share with you something about this. Why did he live in a tent? Partly it's because, well, what does a tent represent? A tent represents impermanence. A tent offers you something very important. It offers you shelter from the outside. But... On the other hand, a tent is impermanent. A tent is just a tent. It doesn't, it's not a house. There's no foundation. There's, what it is is Abraham lived, but he did not put down roots into a land that was promised to him. Isn't that interesting? Right? He did not put down roots. And, you know, that was the case for his son and his grandson. But what he did was he put up a tent, 
And what it did was it gave him shelter from the rain and from the outside. And let me offer you something. I think that picture of the tent, that is something like culture. The culture is like tent for us. It's, you know, if you feel like an outsider, and when you come into a culture that makes sense to you, that the culture, oh, okay, I'm, I'm in from the outside, and I don't have to feel so cold and, and so alone, and I have some shelter in this place. But you know what culture is? A culture is temporary. It's all passing by. Right? And in this sense, and it's malleable, like tents are malleable. And, and what this passage is saying is, and I'm, and I'm kind of cheating a little bit. Well, cheating is not the right word. It's absolutely right. Abraham was a cultural and this worldly immigrant. But what this passage is really saying is that Abraham was a different kind of immigrant. He's a different kind of sojourner. He is a spiritual immigrant. He's saying that this land isn't really my full-on, fullest place. So I don't need to put my roots down there. And I think this is absolutely what the Bible is saying. He, did not, he put down a tent. The tent symbolizes he did not put his heart into the ground. He did not put his hope into this place. He did not put his spiritual roots into this land and said, this culture, this place, it has to be my home. That's, not what, he, that's what he's saying. But instead, I will hold this, even though this is the land that God promised, I want you to understand that. I mean, there's no higher authority. God told him, you will get this land. It's for your kids. And yet, he would say, no. What the scripture is telling us is that there is a deeper, there's a city that he's longing for. Now, when you look at the church, the church has to understand this. The church has to understand that culture is more like a tent. It's temporary, but it's important. We need to come in out of the rain. We need to offer people some sense of belonging because if you are an alien and alienated and outside, that's being outside. There's no shelter there. What the culture, the church needs to offer shelter, but we can't say this is your hope. And when people look at the church, they go, oh, well, you know, there's the, there's the, there's the, the Caucasian, individualistic, American church, well, I'm not so sure that's a place for me. And there's so many second-generation immigrants, but wait a second. This is a, a, a church and the race of people and the smells of the food. I'm familiar with this, but I don't really feel quite at home either. And what's happened is, in, the, in America, people build churches. They build either this one or this one. You can either go to this one or you can go to this one. Because, but then they said, we have to make everybody comfortable, and then everybody needs to just get this right, but I don't think that's right. What the church needs to be is not just the haven to say, we depend on the culture. What we have to say is, no, we're going to offer a different home. We're going to offer something deeper. We're going to call people to be like Abraham and to hold their culture more like a tent and to find their heart's home elsewhere. And the church is the one place that can offer that message most powerfully. It's the church that can heal cultural division. It's the church that has the deepest resources to answer communal and cultural homelessness. It's the church. And when the church does this, we're the ones who have the power to reshape the culture. We have the power because we have the inner spiritual resources to offer a deeper home than merely culture. If you go looking for your home 
in the culture, let me tell you, you're setting up shop in a tent, right? And if you're putting your hope into something that's fleeting and passing away, I mean, this is strange. 1980s Korean Americans, you know what? Their culture is already gone because the 1990s Koreans changed and then the 2000s Koreans changed. And so there's all these immigrants that are trying to hold on to this thing that is, is from 1980s and the 1980s are gone. And that's because it's a tent. But in the church, and this is what we're looking to do in a church like this, in, in, a, in, a, in a congregation like this, do you know that our county, Santa Clara County, Silicon Valley has 2 million people? And out of the 2 million people, only one-third of them are Caucasian. And so many people in this country, if you are a racial minority in this country, you feel to varying degrees, it could be first, second, or even third or fourth generation, some level of communal displacement and of homelessness in this country, despite the fact this is the most welcoming land to strangers. But you're talking in a a county where two-thirds of the people can relate to what I'm talking about today. And two-thirds of the people that can relate to what I'm talking about today, they need to be offered a better home than the tent of the culture. They need to offer it. They need to be offered that. And so many people, that's what they're doing. Try it. Try asking your friend. You know, they may not know and understand that church is maybe a place where they can find this home, where they can find some rest. They may not understand that because they don't believe in God or they're not sure about God. But they all are looking for this. And next time you hang out with your friend, maybe he's uh, Mexican or he's Vietnamese, ask him. You know, you're not going to say, so where do you find your communal home and answer your problem of communal homelessness? They'll probably look at you like, what the heck are you talking about? But instead, ask him like this, ask him a question like this. Hey, are all your friends uh, Vietnamese or most of your friends Vietnamese? And they go, no. They may say no because they may think, they're, oh, I'm very, I'm very culturally fluid and I, I, I have all kinds of difference. But actually ask him that. Actually, ask them to go down the list of their friends. If they can go, out of their 10 closest friends, ask them, how many of them are Chinese? Or how many of them are Vietnamese? Or how many of them are Korean? I'll bet you they'll say, I have 10 good friends, but my three closest ones are probably, probably of their similar ethnicity or of their similar cultural persuasion. Or actually, it's even stranger. All the ones who are like this, the ones who are both Korean and American, or both Chinese and American, or both Mexican and American, you know what they have? They have friends that are Mexican and American. Or they have friends who straddle the line between these two worlds. And those are their friends. And you know what? That's where they're trying to find a little bit of shelter from out of the rain in their tent. But you know, it's the church. It's God who has the resources to offer this. And in this church... In this congregation, literally in this room, in this worship service, please believe me when I say this, we're not trying to be Korean. And we're not just trying to be American in the individualistic way that America knows, that is known in the past. We're really trying to be this third odd thing. But we're not really just trying to be multi-ethnic. We're not even interested in that. Okay, That's not what we're interested in. What we're we're interested in is the city where Abraham knew, he said, that's where it's going to be my roots. That's where I'm going to put down my heart. That's where I'm going to have my rest. That's where it's going to be my home. That's what we're interested in offering here. And it is profoundly multi-ethnic and crosses barriers. The third bucket, not the American bucket, not just the, the immigrant Korean bucket, 
but a third vision because Jesus can do that. Now let me go to point number three. You know, how do you get to this? It's really hard. How does Jesus offer this to us? And how can we get there? You know, culture is something that you do without even thinking, and it's so part of your comfort zone that as soon as you are pushed out of your comfort zone, (laughs) you you start to feel it. And thus it's hard. And when you come into the church, you know, as soon as you can feel this, you want to be made at ease and you want to, to be fully known and embraced. And so if you have to, to modulate, you know, it, it becomes hard. And if you meet other people and they ask you for things or they, they do things in ways that seem to step on your toes, it's hard. You know, the first thing I want to say to you is when you look at the church, I want you to see this. Jesus. Jesus, you ever think that Jesus was an immigrant? Isn't that strange? Why did God make Abraham the father of all his children an immigrant? You know why? Because he knew that the Redeemer, the one who was going to produce a new human race, a new kind of humanity, he himself, God was going to leave, the Son of God was going to leave his ultimate home an absolutely pristine place, and go off to a very far country, a very foreign and strange country, and a very dysfunctional and poor ghetto land, which we call our world, right? And he came into this place. Why? Not just so that he can say, if you come to me, you'll find your rest and you're home with me, and then I'll take you back home with me. That's not, that's not the only A lot of people think that's, that is what the gospel teaches, not what the gospel teaches. What the gospel teaches is the one who was a stranger who came from a far-off country, he came here into a place where he would be homeless, where he would be the ultimate stranger, and he would be rejected. Oh, he would be rejected, right? And then so that he can call forth a people so that ultimately he would die for us, he would live the life we should have lived, and he could bring the beauty of his home here. That's why. Not so that he could just take us home, so that he can say, you, all the places in which you're displaced, I can make it a home. All your cultures that are just tents, I will make them beautiful houses Houses and glorious buildings and dwelling places in my city. Only Jesus can do this thing. And he paid a tremendous cost. And he made himself incredibly uncomfortable. He was born in a manger. He lived among people incredibly full who were poverty, impoverished. He lived among a people that were very homeless and messed up. And he literally was homeless. He was literally homeless. He said, the Son of Man does not have a place to rest his head. And he did it to give you a new home, to form a new people. And when you come into the church, I want you to just think, the church isn't just some place where I get to do my individualistic religion thing. It's where I get to go do and do things with God and it's where I get to go meet God. But actually, when you come into the church, you are coming into the place where God is saying, this is the signpost. This is the place where I am turning, transforming into a tent, into a house. And what this is, you're going to get the foretaste of what it's like to be 
in my city into being the new culture that goes beyond all culture, which fulfills your culture. That's what the church is doing. And in this church, I know it's so grand and so incredible. I want to believe in that and offer that. And so when you come in, here's what I want to ask, ask you. Remember that this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what Jesus does, not just to you as an individual, to a people. And when you come in, you can feel that cultural displacement. Instead of grasping after and saying, grasping after your tent and after your homeless, your, your own way to like solve your own homeless problem, instead say, no, Jesus, I'll let you answer that problem for me. I'll let you build a home for me. Go and sit at the heart of Jesus. And as we do this together, God will carve out something new and beautiful, literally a signpost of an eternal home to come. Let's pray, and then we'll go to the Lord's table. Lord, a broken people, children, grandchildren of even more broken people, And yet, this is your house. And in the tent of our culture, will we learn to put our roots and our foundations on the rock that is Jesus? What he has done for us, which no one else could have done for us. And you turn this this community into a place that offers welcome, especially into so many of the people, two-thirds of this county, that offers welcome into a people that share our brokenness. Lord, um, as we go to your table today, may we eat of your food, the food of life, the food of home. May we be glad and joyful to be in your place, in your house you've made for us. In Jesus' name.